Welcome to Engage Arizona. I'm Kathy Herod. Today, we're excited to introduce a remarkable new member of our team, Greg Scott, our new Vice President of Policy. Greg's journey is nothing short of inspiring, having served as the Director of Media and Public Relations at the Heritage Foundation in Washington, D.C., and as a Public Affairs Chief in the Department of Homeland Security. His dedication to our nation is further evident from his time as the Senior Vice President of Communications for Alliance Defending Freedom and his 10 years of active service in the U.S. Marine Corps. Greg's insights have graced the pages of the Washington Times, Variety, the Arizona Republic, and more. Thank you, Greg, for being here with us today. Kathy, thank you. Uh, I'm really, uh, I'm just honored to not only be on the podcast, but to be a part of the CAP team. Uh, we've worked together for many, many years, so I know the quality of work that um, uh, that CAP does, and I also know the spirit uh, with which uh, you've led this team, and that is uh, prayer first, action next, prayer after, and it's been so effective for so many years that uh, to be able to be part of this is, uh, is, is, a, uh, is a great privilege for me, and I, and I do thank the Lord for it. Um, me too. It's one of God's um, gifts to cap in the year 2023, that, that's for sure. And it's interesting that today we're going to talk about the media and the power of words, and you know, Greg, you've done a lot to train me on media, so it's, it's kind of interesting um, that, that this is the topic. So let's discuss the power of words in the media and how the narratives are shaped in the news today. So based on your experience and you've done strategic communications, how have you observed opponents using language to shape the narratives over the years? Well, I think even before we talk about words and uh, words do have power, we need to discuss power itself. Uh, Todd Gitlin, who's a Marxist professor, said all the way back in 1981, after Reagan won uh, the uh, election in a landslide, uh, his words were this, the right marched on Washington and took a great deal of it while the left was marching on the English department. I think we know what he's getting at there. Uh, conservatives are really good at 50% plus one electoral politics and we remain pretty good at it. But what have we done with the culture? What have we done with the powerful institutions? We know that the left controls media, culture, entertainment, education, corporations, particularly, particularly big tech and government. So even when we have a conservative government in Washington or in Phoenix, um, we still have that um, great structure, that labyrinth of power uh, that exists outside of and uh, you know, pretty much eternally um, as the um, as um, as, as the electoral um, uh, cycles um, come and go. So I'll give you an example of that. Uh, the State Department back in uh, 2016, the um, employees of the State Department gave uh, 99% of political donations to one party and not the other. 97, 97% in the Department of Justice. So that gives you an idea of uh, where the power is. And where has that power gotten them? Now, think about this, Kathy. You and I remember the um, the phrase, it depends on what the meaning of the word is, is. <laughs> and for a while, that was a punchline. Now people are asking and, and being serious about it, asking what the meaning of the word his is. And what we're expected to do because of the cultural power that exists on the left, we're all expected to stroke our chins, slowly nod, and wrinkle our foreheads as if it's a serious question. We hear things like her wife, pregnant man, his uterus, three moms, and we're like, what has happened here? Has the world gone mad? Well, yeah, it definitely has. And obviously we're to expect this as our, uh, 
as our friend and mentor, uh, Dr. Al Mohler, consistently reminds us, we're living in a Genesis 3 world, so it went mad long ago, shortly following in the beginning. But we're here at this, uh, at this time in this place for God's sovereign purpose, and we're not called to passively observe the madness parading by. And passivity is not even an option anymore, if it even ever was. Uh, my friend Eric Erickson has said, you'll be made to care. Many of us have already been made to care, and it's not just privately in the ministry context where we'll care, um, but, it's, but it's everywhere. It's in our culture, and that's, that's why we do what we do. Uh, you know, every one of uh, the Bible's teachings on life, family, freedom, and even what it means to be human are the heresies that the burgeoning secular inquisition has in its crosshairs for eradication. And a lot of that has to do with how they communicate and the battlefield that we're on and how we need to respond. Well, and when you talk about some of the words, I mean, we're seeing it, you know, recent Arizona Supreme Court hearing where the attorney yes. just throws out pregnant person and there's no hesitation. It's just that that's the wording or how in the proposed abortion ballot measure, it's pregnant individual. And, you know, how many people catch that even that those are the kind of words, but how much that shaping and really is setting the narrative that, oh, okay, if I'm going to be with it, I better be, whether we use the word woke or whatever, but it's no longer a pregnant yes. woman. It's a, it's a pregnant person or a pregnant individual. And, and, you know, judges are using it even in court decisions. They're adopting some of that yes. lingo. So, I mean, this is how they shape the narrative, right? Yes, and attorneys are being sanctioned for not using preferred pronouns. Uh, and uh, also in that hearing uh, yesterday, we remember that uh, the uh, that the opposing attorney uh, made the de declaration that has never been made before in this courtroom that abortion is health care. So the other side understands the importance of language, the power of words. I mean, God created the world world through the power of His word, um, and you know every tyrant understands that. Uh, every person who's trying to uh, gain control of a culture understands the first thing and the last thing you do is control the uh, control the language. And you know what? The left has effectively amended the United States Constitution by staying on message. I don't think that's overstating things. Think about it. Separation of church and state, a woman's right to choose, marriage equality. Now, these were initially pretty unpopular ideas. But now they're taken for granted in our cultural cultural mindscape, and they have driven Supreme Court precedent for more than more than a generation. Now, I mean, that's changing. Uh, we've got an unbelievable win streak of the Supreme Court for free speech and religious freedom, but the culture hasn't necessarily caught back up and begun loving our founding principles again. Uh, in fact, the younger generation is more in favor of speech restriction and ideologically based state coercion than any other generation before it. Now, praise God that Roe v. Wade was overturned. But what we're finding is that abortion, even with the presence of a strong pro-life movement, of which uh, we've both been a part of for a very long time, um, it's become an expectation in American society that abortion will be legal. And like it or not, the vast majority of Americans believe that abortion should be legal. Um, it's to our shame, but it's reality. Um, and we have to fight the battle that's in front of us rather than the battle we wish was in front of us. And a lot of this has to do with that language, those simple phrases, those storytelling um, sound bites uh, that capture the imagination of a culture and really uh, control uh, how we how we think about law, culture, and life. When we when we hear the terms by the media or just in public conversation, reproductive freedom or gender or gender affirming care, you know those terms could be the person who's not following this and very and in tune with things. Gender affirming care may not realize that's someone who wants to change their gender. 
or that on reproductive freedom, that that's someone who's talking abortion, where reproductive freedom could be, you know, the freedom to be able to have a baby or the freedom to, you know, I mean, I mean, it's just like, I mean, the words are so deceptive, aren't they, to where the average person out there, hearing them on the media, they just pick them up and they sound reasonable without even realizing what it is. I mean, does that seem to be what happens? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, for the opposition, better than uh, having somebody reject the truth, better than have somebody believe a lie is having somebody confused. And I think a lot of the terminology, especially around the transgender debate, it is meant to confuse. Um, We know, as you said, gender affirming care is the perfect example of that. Uh, Exactly the opposite is happening. Uh, when um, people are, you know, then the gender is not being affirmed, it's being rejected. Um, and then when you talk about, um, you know, a man playing sports against women, I, I talked to my wife who's very keyed into this, and we have to stop for a second when we're hearing a story that deals with transgender and say, okay, wait a second. So is this a man that's trying to play a sport that, you know, because all, all of the language is so convoluted. So I, you know, I, I, think that uh, people, even those ones that are dialed in, uh, sense that there's something wrong. Uh, When they're reading a story using they, them pronouns and are utterly confused about what's going on in the narrative, uh, most people know they're being had. And I think that's one of the reasons why on this particular issue at this particular time, uh, the tide is turning pretty significantly because um, the, because the ludicrous nature of the entire gender ideology movement, it has it is laid to bear, and they can't really run away from it. So, when we talk about the media and how much the media is being compliant, or whether they're being manipulated, I mean, we know that the media is just going along with all of this. But we see the decline in newspapers and the alternative forms of media. Isn't I mean, there has been, in some sense, a sense of awakening among a lot of the public. To, I mean, distrust in the media? I mean, do you think that that's on the rise or that it's not like the Walter Cronkite days um, where but, you know, people are suspicious of the media in ways or are they still just very gull- gullible and going along with whatever they hear the media say? Um, I, I think there is a, I think there is a, a widespread confusion. But one thing people are not confused about these days is whether they can trust the media or not. And trust in the media is at the lowest it has ever been. And there's a reason for that. Um, They do see that, um, you know, they're, they've been lied to over and over again. I can go, you know, I can go over the list of things, you know, the economy is great right now. Everybody knows the economy is not great right now. The border is secure. Everyone knows the border is secure. Uh, Leah Thomas is a woman. Everybody knows Leah Thomas is not a woman. And the media is, um, you know, the corporate media, I should say, is um, uh, is um, uh, trafficking in trafficking in these myths, lies, and this gaslighting. Um, but I don't think that uh, I, I think that the media is all in. The corporate media is all in uh, with this agenda, and um, they are uh, they become a tool for it. Well, how do people, what are the recommendations for how do people guard against being misled? Because I think even the most astute among us and who don't trust the media, it still can be fairly easily, you can be easily misled. So how does one guard against being manipulated or misled um, by what they see on social media, the news media, the, the carefully crafted messages that are out there? 
Yeah, well, uh, healthy skepticism and uh, and a good amount of discernment. Uh, so even if people still do uh, trust the corporate media to a certain degree, uh, they need to understand that the idea that there was ever an unbiased and objective media is false. There's no such thing as an unbiased or uh, objective person. Um, as sinful creatures, uh, we don't see we see through the glass darkly, and we have um, uh, we have perceptions that are um, you know that are created by you know by our experiences and uh, any number of different factors where we're none of us are seeing the world exactly as it is when you know uh when, when we get to glory we're, we're going to know where we're right where, and where we're wrong but um, as it stands right now and i'm not saying uh you know reject everything um but uh, discernment and skepticism is is good uh you brought up walter cronkite when he was the most trusted man in america and he ended his broadcast with the phrase and that's the way it is he actually wasn't telling you he wasn't telling you to think he was telling you what to think and what we know about Cronkite right now is he had a very specific agenda that's you know fairly close to corporate media today mm-hmm. uh, but the difference between then and now is the, that the mask has not only slipped but the radical left which so largely controls news and information is happy to tell you exactly what they're doing uh, one of the most prestigious journalism schools in the country Columbia is now teaching students that objectivity is, is passe they're teaching advocacy journalism or as I call it, journactivism, uh, which produces, produces journo-prop. And I don't think anybody could uh, deny this right now. And most newsrooms don't even bother trying to be objective anymore. So um, I think that's helpful just for us to know what the field of play is, what people are telling us about, <laughs> telling us about what they believe. I um, mean, it does help us uh, with that discernment process. And we shouldn't be, only be discerning and uh, skeptical of uh, what we consider to be opposition news and information sources. We we have to make sure that uh, when uh, we're reading what we perceive to be friendly news and media sources, that we are uh, that we're testing that as well. Um, I, you know, there's been there's been times I've, I'm guilty of this, and most people have, where I've uh, retweeted something or reposted something, uh, as they call it today, uh, that turned out not to be exactly as it was. So uh, we need to be testing uh, everything we're reading, uh, do our independent research, and um, not get uh, not get fooled by either side. Well, and that raises the question, are there really any trustworthy media sources to turn to that any media source that you're turning to, even one that is conservative, you better be testing it out and be discerning. Yes, absolutely. Um, and, you know, there's uh, a- after a while, you do get a pretty good idea of who you can trust and uh, and, and who you don't. And, you know, I, I may have a, a little bit of a leg up on this, being that I've been in the communications business for about 23 years now. Um, uh, as you mentioned, uh, first uh, first in the Marine Corps uh, and then uh, and then at ADF Heritage, uh, back to ADF. And I did a little bit of time at the Department of Homeland Security also. So I've seen media operating in um, in many different contexts and um yeah i mean you you do need to uh, test everything and uh, make sure that uh, the the information that you're passing on uh, doesn't make you guilty of misinformation or disinformation and um you know in in a world where everything is so uncertain around um, uh, you know, around uh, wars that are happening, around um, uh, you know pandemics uh, that got us you know locked down and um, uh, and uh, wrecked the economy for so many years. You know, there, there's there's a lot to be discerning about, and it's a lot of work, but it's uh, but it's worth it if we want to be uh, good, productive, uh, active uh, citizens that uh, work for work for the good. Okay, so let's talk for a minute about 
the new abortion amendment is an example that we know yeah. that it's deceptive that the what the other the proponents are saying that oh this is only legalizing abortion up until viability when in fact it's unregulated unrestricted abortion up until birth so how how do you counter this type of deception when it's out there in the public square and the media is going to just repeat. I mean, it, when you mentioned X earlier, you know, and indeed, you know, recently some an attorney, you know, parroted the talking point that this allows abortion only up to viability. And then, of course, I responded saying, "No, have you read read the language?" Type of thing. But I mean, that's one way to counter it. But how 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 do people counter the deception that they see out there? You know, uh, like in Michigan and more recently in Ohio, the left's message in um, Arizona um, is uh, it's it's really more more effective storytelling right now, um, and it has prevailed in those other places in the most diabolical way. And uh, we've talked about this that voters believe right now, while they believed in Ohio and Michigan, that their choice was this, uh, a very simple choice. Should abortion be legal or illegal in our state? Vote yes for legal. Um, you know, never mind that uh, what those amendments did in Ohio and Michigan um, made those states, uh, Purple Michigan and Red Ohio, um, they created abortion regimes there that put them in league with California and China, New York and North Korea. And I don't believe that's what the people in Michigan and Ohio thought they were voting for. Uh, but it didn't matter because the other side really did tell a better story. So countering that, I think uh, I think for us, and this is a very uh, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, fresh and hot issue for us right now for obvious reasons, is you know we, we've got so many examples of um, how the opposition is being deceptive. So uh, creating uh, creating a cultural conversation that positions the left as uh, as deceptive, not only on this abortion issue, but some other issues that I mentioned before. Uh, you know. With the border we're seeing what uh, governor hobbs is doing right now with immigration suddenly she's uh, suddenly she's becoming a hawk uh, because they understand the treachery for the electoral treachery for them should uh, should this continue uh, they're being dishonest on the economy they've been dishonest on lockdowns they've been dishonest on uh, the transgender issue um I, so i think uh, not only um uh, communicating a good positive message about life and the kind of state that Arizona wants to be in relation to life. And very few people in Arizona want unlimited abortion, what this allows for. I bet no people in Arizona want abortions for, well, very few people in Arizona want abortions uh, for young girls without their parents' consent. Uh, we've got some good common sense um, uh, abortion, um, uh, good, good common sense pro-life laws in Arizona that people want to stand. And and um, if we can, uh, you know, if we can uh, create the um, or if we can uh, communicate the truth that the uh, that our opposition is being dishonest in all of these other ways, uh, people are more comfortable with the idea that they're being dishonest about this abortion amendment. And they are. This abortion amendment does not allow for limits on abortion. And, and that's and, and that's just the fact and, and all of the um, uh, all of the other accompanying uh, horrors, uh, as we mentioned, uh, with no parental consent um, and, uh, you know, not requiring a doctor to approve a late term uh, post viability abortion. Those are very bad things that almost no Arizonans agree with. And us communicating that effectively uh, will um, uh, will hopefully uh, turn the tide because uh, we're not. Uh, we're, the, uh, you know, life hasn't been winning in America lately, but I believe Arizona can be the place where it does. And so I think for the listener, the resources that are available, for example, on the abortion ballot measure, you can go to itgoestofar.com. 
and see the talking points, see how to respond to some of the arguments that are out there. Um, Center for Arizona Policy, we have policy pages that are posted on our main website, azpolicy.org, where you can look at, at different issues and, and what, what really is there in the issue. And it makes me think of the need to be ready in season and out of season to be able to, you know, think of, you know, how do you counter the deception? I've, I've always remembered, um, you know, an example of that is in the days when, when, um, when abortion was when we didn't have a 24-hour waiting period in it, in a, and we didn't have informed consent type of law. And so that most women who've had abortions would tell you that they don't see the doctor until until the doctor walks in to perform the abortion. And so what's interesting yeah. about that is when I mentioned that to a moderate Republican female, and I said that, well, the woman doesn't see the doctor until he walks in to, to to have the to perform the procedure, the the woman was shocked. I mean, she couldn't conceive that as a woman she would have anyone do a procedure on her, like an abortion, really anything, without having talked to the doctor ahead of time, had a consultation, all those types of things. So you know, it's like find those talking points that you know you can you can just the zingers in a sense that that you can if you're talking to someone and they've been captured by the media and the narratives that are out there, find how you know what what words you can use. Um, and so just a closing word, um, Greg, on how people um, don't get taken in by the media and, and how they carefully choose the words that, that we use in our, in our everyday conversations. Yeah, it, it's, uh, again, it's really important to be, uh, uh, you know, uh, be skeptical, be discerning, and also be disciplined about um, about what you are, uh, about what you're hearing. Um, you, you should... Um, you should avail yourself of many different, uh, many different news sources, even opposition sources, because, you know, I learn a lot from the opposition and they've been very good about what they do. They, they are, um, uh, they are many things. And uh, one of those things is good at storytelling and good at uh, changing the culture. And one of the, one of the reasons is because they are, they're urgent, they're unified, their message is universal, they're unwavering and they're ubiquitous. They're everywhere all the time. For some reason, the left being the star Wars bar scene that that it is can somehow get together with a common message. If you you know if you go to a if you look at a parade and you see um, uh, you know care. Council on American Islamic Relations marching next to human rights campaign. Like, why can't we do that? <laughs> you know? um, but um, you know, the adaptability is uh, is another strength that they uh, that they have that we should really um, that we should really look to uh, and imitate. Um, I remember during the um, I remember during the uh, uh, marriage debate, uh, watching uh, you know watching us. So you you remember winning. Two, two thirds of the states won marriage amendments over a very short period of time. The left got together and said, okay, our message is losing on this. What do we do? They got together and they adapted. And then what, what we saw beginning really with the Prop 8 case was that, um, you know, it was a Hollywood production and they changed their message completely from, I want my rights, you know, bashing in doors of churches, demanding, uh, you know, you know and, and screaming at priests change to we just want what every other American wants. So um, I, I guess I probably uh, I probably uh, swirled a little bit there and didn't answer the uh, question exactly. That's okay. <laughs> the exact question that you asked. <laughs> but I just got excited about uh, what yeah. we can learn about communications. And it really comes down to, uh, it really comes down to relationship. 
um, you know, the, the way the the way the left started winning the marriage debate, uh, they did a study in Maine and found that um, personal contact and the most local relationships, meaning the people, not the people on the other side of the camera, but the people sitting on the other side of the table from you are the most effective messengers. So um, if we are to, um, uh, you know, if, if we are to, um, uh, you know, win uh, when things like uh, the uh, the abortion um, uh, the the abortion ballot measure, um, it's really important for us to build those personal relationships and, and come to them with good information, well sourced information to help equip them uh, to be discerning, to be skeptical, and to be disciplined about the uh, information that they're um, ingesting, and then hopefully um, uh, and then hopefully sharing with others. I would encourage listeners to be um, strategic and courageous, and to not hesitate to speak truth in love and with grace and when they have the opportunity to do so. Well, thanks, Greg, for joining me on today's edition of Engage Arizona. Kathy, thank you. Thanks for listening to Engage Arizona. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like and subscribe and leave us a rating or review on your preferred podcast platform. Don't forget to share with family and friends. And if you would like to learn more, please visit our website at azpolicy.org.